Thank you all. It's great to be able to share with you. Um, and we last week kicked off a new series in, uh, in both our morning gatherings, actually. And it is a series that in some ways has, has two names. It's a series called God Is, with an exclamation mark, and a series called Is God, with a question mark. And we're looking at seven different aspects of who, as Christians, we believe the Bible tells us God is. But each of those claims comes with questions, comes with baggage, comes with confusions. If God is this, then what about that? If God really is such and such, why are Christians so something else? So we're going to be exploring a number of those. Last week, Stephen kicked us off thinking about the fact that God is good all the time. And actually, one of the things that we aren't covering during this series, but could have been a good one if, we, if we'd had time, was the idea that, uh, that God is somehow unscientific. There's lots of people in the world today who would say that God and science just cannot coexist, that God has been disproved by science. Like I said, we're not addressing that on a Sunday, but I do want to draw your attention to something. It's on our church notice board uh, online, um, and uh, you can find out information about it there. But over this summer, there is going to be a, a sort of a book discussion type group thing. Um, there's a book um, written by uh, a couple of guys, um, and it's called God, Stephen Hawking, and the Multiverse. And it explores what Stephen Hawking, obviously very famous uh, and important scientist, what he said about science, what his philosophy was, and how that impacts when it comes to faith, and particularly Christian faith. So the idea is um, that anyone who wants to can pick up a copy of the book and read it over the summer. And then on September the 9th, in the evening, over a glass or something, uh, here in this building, there'll be the chance to come together and discuss it. And that will be led, that discussion will be led by someone who is a physicist, someone who's a physics teacher um, and a Christian. Uh, and we'll be able to sort of guide and explore some of that uh, and, and hear about what people made of the book. Maybe you'd like to do that. Maybe there's someone who you think that could be a really good thing to invite them. And you'd read the book with them over the summer and bring them along and join for others. So like I said, that's not part of this series, but it is something that's sort of quite similar and might be a good opportunity for you. You can find out more details for that on our website it says on there that you can find some things in reception. You will be able to next week, but I forgot to print them off this week, so sorry about that. Um, uh, but today, having sung the songs that we've sung today, you won't be surprised to hear that we are thinking about God's holiness. And the title for this morning, under that two titles, God is holier than thou, or is God holier than thou? That phrase, holier than thou, is, is one that's often used to describe Christians. And it's this idea of people who just think they're better than other people, think they're holier, think they're more pure, think that they are greater and other people are lesser because of their purity, because of their goodness. Christians have a reputation amongst some people for being holier than thou people. I was out uh, this week with wonderful, wonderful people uh, knocking on doors in this community. And one of the questions we were asking people was, what do you think a Christian is? And one of, the, uh, one of the answers that came up quite a number of times was that a Christian is someone who tries to live a good life, someone who tries to be a good person. I think there's far more to a Christian than that. But that was something that came up a number of times. And I asked a few of those people, when I felt as though I could be a little bit cheeky, um, I, I asked some of those people who gave that answer. And by the way, do you think Christians are doing a good job of that? If Christians are meant to be good people, do, do you think we are? And the answer from most was, well, not really any better than anyone else, but sometimes they think they are. There is a reputation that Christians can have that we are holier-than-thou people. 
One door that I knocked on, there was an older lady who answered the door. Uh, and we were talking a little bit, and I asked if she was part of any particular faith, and she shared this with me. She shared that she'd previously been part of Gold Hill Baptist Church many decades ago, 40, 50 years ago. And at the time, she was married to someone who had a struggle with alcohol, had a struggle with alcohol addiction, and had become quite abusive towards her and towards her children. And for her own safety and for the safety of her children, she, she fled, she, she left him, and she divorced him. And when people in the church, she told me, when people in the church heard that she was divorced, some people came round to her house and said that she shouldn't come back, that she wasn't welcome back, because it was, just wouldn't be right anymore. That's something I heard this week in, in our community. And there's this perception, and I was able to say to her, I was horrified to hear that story. I was able to say to her that that is absolutely not how we would want to treat her today as one of the current leaders of this church. That is absolutely not our heart, absolutely not God's heart. But there are people in our world who don't want anything to do with this faith because they think of us that way. We're just holier-than-thou people. We don't want involved in your mess. We don't want your mess getting on our cleanness. It might mess us up. It might make us worse. That's some of the perception that we have. So this, is, this series isn't about Christians. This series is about God. Is God like that? Is God a holier-than-thou God who doesn't want anything to do with our messiness? I want to explore a passage in the Bible, and it's actually the passage that that last song we sung is based on. It's found in Isaiah chapter, chapter 6. And in it, it speaks about what God's holiness is like. It also speaks about what our response to God's holiness is can and should be, and it speaks about what God's response to our response is. And I think that when we miss either our response or God's response to that, we miss something out and everything starts to fall apart. So let me read uh, from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, a sort of angelic spiritual being. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. First thing I want us to see in this passage is what it speaks about in terms of what God's holiness is like. God's holiness as these, as these angelic beings, there's this vision 
of people uh, coming before God and, and, and saying to one another, calling out who God is, saying, holy, holy, holy. It's this repeated word, and when we repeat something, it's because we really mean it. They really want to draw attention to this. And we can see this is, a, this is an amazing scene, this vision that Isaiah has given. It's amazing in scale. We sung it a few times, that the train of God's robe fills the whole temple in this vision. It's huge, it's massive. It's not God's robe that fills the temple. It's not God himself that fills the temple. It's just a small, it's just, just the train that comes from his robe is enough to fill the temple. It's huge, it's massive, the scale of it. Also the, the awe and reverence and, and fear. Fear in that sort of healthy, good, thrilling kind of way. That, 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 that fear before God that these, that these beings have as they, as they fly with two of their wings, as they cover their eyes so that they might not look upon the, the holiness of God. And as they cover their feet, which might be dirty, they don't want any of that to be, to be before God. They want to present themselves as clean as possible. There's an awe about this scene because of God's holiness. And there is worship towards God because of his holiness. Now, holiness, when we think about it, and that sort of holier-than-thou attitude, often we think of holiness purely in terms of morals and ethics and being good people. That's part of it, but it's far more than that. The word the Bible uses for holy, that we translate as holy, is about being, being cut off and set apart. It's being other. It's being different. It's being, it's being sort of transcending everything else. It's not just about being good or being better. It's about being different. It's about being made of thoroughly different stuff. Holiness is about being set apart. And God is the most set apart being. He's the only truly set apart, different from everything else being because he has no beginning. Everything else comes from somewhere. It's made of other stuff which comes from something else, which eventually has its origins back and back and back we can go. But God has no beginning, has no end. And actually, more about that next week, so I don't want to tread too much on our toes. But because God has no origin, unlike you, unlike me, he is truly holy, truly set apart and different. Is God holier than thou? You bet he is. He's holier than me, holier than you, holier than everyone that will ever be because he and he alone is different, is complete, is pure. Is that good news though? Is it good news? Because moral purity is part of that. Ethics and lifestyles and the way we live and the choices that we make is part of holiness. Part of God's holiness is that he is perfect. He is always good. He is always perfect. Is that good news though? If that means something about the way that we live. This week, uh, just in the last couple of days, I've been looking at a lot of the, a lot of the responses to the decision made by the su Supreme Court in America around Roe v. Wade and laws to do with abortion. And I've been looking at things that different Christians have been saying about it. I try very hard to make sure that I don't just follow people who agree with me on social media things, that I don't just become an echo chamber, and I can see what different people are saying. And so I've seen Christians speaking from both sides of that particular debate, and I'm not going into that now. We, there was a sermon on it from last year, if you want to look at that for, 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 from this church family, uh, an online sermon. 
But I've been looking at that, and different Christians have been sharing what they believe God thinks about the whole thing. And because God thinks a certain thing, they're saying that therefore we should live a certain way. This makes sense to me, and I do actually think that is right. I'm going to share a couple of verses in a moment that suggest that, that tell us that. But in response to those statements, that because God says this, we should therefore live a certain way, I've seen floods of people saying, well, if God is going to tell me that I can't do that or that I have to do this, why on earth would you think I'd ever want to be part of him and follow him? The idea that God has morals, that God has ethics, is seen by some as bad news. Because it means that therefore it forces us to live a certain way. If God says this is right and that is wrong, and I don't want to be on the side that God has said is right, then that's bad news for me. So is God's holiness good news? I think it is. But we can't escape the fact that because God is holy, he calls us into that holiness and asks us, urges us, encourages us into it. Here are a couple of verses, one from the Old, one from the New Testament. In Leviticus, part of the law that God gave his people, God says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. And in case we think it's something that died out with the Old Testament, this is Jesus speaking in the New Testament. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If God is holy, then to follow him is to choose to try and step into his holiness. So is it good news? Well, by itself, it's just a fact. It's our response to it and God's response to that, which I think makes it good news. Because I don't know about you, but when I think about God being other, God being different, God being better and holy and pure and perfect, my response to that isn't, oh, goody, me too. My response to that is, mm, I know the ways in which I'm not. What was Isaiah's response when he got caught up with this heavenly vision? His response was these words, woe to me. It says in verse 5, woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He recognized that before God, he was not holy. Before God, he was not pure. He knew his uncleanness. He knew that he was messy, that he was broken, that he was flawed. And I think part of the good news is that that's the right response. And it's not a response we don't have to run away from. It's not a response we have to run away from. It's a response that God allows us to make, invites us to make, to say to him, I know I've failed. I know I'm flawed. I know I sin." But notice that Isaiah is talking about himself, not others. He doesn't, as a prophet, just start declaring the sin of other nations. He starts with himself and his own community. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. He's, he's pointing the finger at himself, not at others. The holier-than-thou reputation that Christians can have, that we're good and you're bad, that reputation is one that we should never indulge. The Christian gospel, the good news that God gives us through the Bible is not you're better than other people. It's even though you fail. 
I still invite you to come. I still want to deal with you. I still want to be with you. Like I said on the streets this week as I was knocking on doors, there was that recurring theme of people saying they weren't really interested in being part of this, in part of, part of church, part of Christian faith. Because those they see that are, maybe aren't that much better than other people, but maybe think that they are. That certainly wasn't what everyone in our community was saying to me. But there was a recurring theme there. And it's certainly matched by what I see going on on social media or in the world or in different commentary. And there's a couple of reasons we need to try and dispel that, try and run away from that. The first is, it's just not true. It's just not what the scriptures tell us. It's just not biblical to say that we are better than other people. It's just not the good news. It's not the message. The message is that even though we are broken and flawed, God invites us and welcomes us in. More on that in a moment. But the other reason that we should run away from this idea and this myth is that it would be a really bad idea to try and present it as the truth because we'll fail. If we say to the world, if our message is, Christians are the good people. If you become a Christian, you can be a good person like me. We're destined to fail because we'll be shown for the liars that we are because we will fail. And as Christians and as the church, we know that sometimes we will fail publicly. Leaders will fail publicly, and it will be in the news just over the last few years within the evangelical part of the, the global church. There have been prominent Christian leaders who have been found with sexual failure or financial failure or moral failure of one kind or another. If the message is, come and be a Christian, you can be a, you can be a good person too like me. People will go, well, you're not good people. No better than everyone else. We all struggle with the same things. But that's not the message. The response to God's holiness isn't to say, I can be like that. The response to God's holiness is to say, I know I'm not like that. This still doesn't sound like good news, does it? But I think there is. I've been reading a book. I'm partly through it at the moment. Um, so I can vouch for the first half. And it's by a, a, an American theologian called Jackie Hill Perry, and it's called Holier Than Thou. And in it, she says this. This is kind of the premise of the book. If God is holy, he can't sin. If God can't sin, then he can't sin against me. If he can't sin against me, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? Friends, I will let you down. People will let you down. I will sin. I will fail. So will Stephen. So will each other. But God won't. Because of his holiness, we can trust him implicitly and completely because we know that he will never do anything or ask anything of us that is not right. That even in the darkest, most difficult times, we can trust that he is holy. And therefore, he can't wrong us. So what is God's response? Well, Isaiah has said, woe to me. What's God's response to that? Well, God's response in a nutshell is this, I will make you holy. I'll do it for you because you can't do it yourself. We read this, 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 uh, this idea, this image, this, this sort of prophetic statement over Isaiah as this seraphim, this angelic being, goes and gets a live coal from the altar and presses it onto Isaiah's lips. Why lips? Well, remember what it was that Isaiah said? He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Why does he say that? Well, there's this constant idea within the Bible that what's inside of us, good or bad, will come out through our mouths. 
If we are, if there is good and love within us, then gratitude and praise and, and thanks towards other people will come out of our mouths. If, 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 if gossip and cynicism is inside us, then questions that we have no right to be asking and answers that we have no right to be giving will come out of our mouths. If hatred is in our mouths, then hate speech will come out of them. That what's inside of us will come out through what we say. It will show who we are. And so when Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips and the people around me are, he's saying, we know we're bad. We know there's wrong in us. And so when this live coal from the fire is brought from, from the altar, from where God is, from the place where sacrifice happens, and pressed against his lips, it's a way of saying, I will make you pure. I will cauterize that. I will purify it with fire. You see, God's holiness doesn't become unholy by engaging and interacting with us. The opposite happens. Later on, the fulfillment of this would happen in a sense because this is, a, this is an image, a picture of what Jesus would do. Because Jesus would come from the place where God is to us and come close and be near us and press up against us and, and be with people and then he would die in our place that not just our mouths but our whole being Jesus the whole of him hanging on a cross dying in our place that his holiness might become ours just like our sin was placed on him that is the good news of Jesus and as a result we take hold of and we can receive the holiness that doesn't belong to us belongs to Jesus belongs to God and is given to us that is the good news that we don't need holiness of our own. We don't need to make ourselves holier than thou people where as long as we're better, as long as we're in the top percentile, then we've made the cut. That's not the way it works. Christian faith is not the 11 plus. It's not getting the job. It's not getting the mortgage. It's not making it into the university. It's not any of those things. It's not achievement-based. It's based on what Jesus has done. And all we need to do to accept it is to accept it. And then he will lead us on. Isaiah goes from, woe is me. And the next words that he says after declaring his, his unworthiness is he stands up and he says, here am I, send me. When God asks for a messenger. He doesn't just leave us in that place. He leads us on, gives us that confidence, gives us that encouragement because he can actually do what we can't do by ourselves. He can give us his spirit to enable us to actually start to make us holy, to make us more and more the things that he's already declared that we will be. He gives us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So for all the people in the world who are leaving faith, leaving church, leaving this good news because, of the, because they feel as though either they don't match up or because they will have to match up, we need to remember, I'd encourage, if that's any of you here today or watching online, considering, is this even worth it? God alone can do what we can't. I don't need to convince you that there are parts of your life that you wish were different. God can do that. It may be that actually you're in a place today where you need to focus in on, on that response of saying to God, I know I'm not holy and there's a specific area of my life that I know isn't in a good place. And to come before him and say, would you work on that?
Would you make that pure? Would you make that holy? Would you give me your spirit to enable that? Both parts of the response to God's holiness, ours and God's, are vital for this to be good news. Without our response, the only message that we could possibly hope for is that we're already perfect as we are. If our response has to be pretending that we're good enough instead of saying, woe to me, instead of saying, I know I've failed, I know I'm flawed, I know I'm broken. If our response has to be, judge me as I am because, because, I, because I'm going to become good enough, then we, we kind of have to hope for the fact that we're perfect and we know that we're not. There is within the world a lot of people who are saying these days, you're already perfect exactly the way that you are. So long as you can accept yourself, so long as you can live your own life the very best that you can, so long, as, so long as you can live the authentic version of yourself, then you are perfect and you are pure and you are holy. I can't speak for you. I can speak for myself. I know that is not true for me. I know that I am not perfect. I know my thoughts. I know my actions. I know my hopes and my fears. I, I know those things well enough to know that I am not perfect. So the only hope I have is that actually I can go somewhere and say I'm not perfect and I need help. But without God's response, there would be no hope of change. There'd be no hope of those areas of my life that I wish weren't the way that they are being restored, being redeemed. Not so that I can then go, well, I've made it and now I am holier than everyone else and start finger pointing, but so that I can continue to rest in God's grace and offer it to others to be able to say, because of what God has done in my life, here I am, send me, because what I've received is worth other people receiving as well. There is a lie from our world that we are already perfect. There is a lie that I believe comes from the enemy, from the devil, from Satan, that says that we are hopeless and beyond repair. Neither of those things is true. God is true, because God is holy, and he can restore us and he loves to do it I wonder where you need to respond to God today maybe an element of that holier than thou attitude has crept in that when you look at certain types of people or groups of people or individuals that you know you look at them with disdain you look at them going thank God I'm not like them maybe that's something that you need to bring before God and say I'm sorry Work on that with me. Maybe there's an area of your life that you wish was holier. The first step there is simply to confess it. Simply to say to God, I know this isn't right. Please help. Maybe you need to respond to this truth, to the holiness of God that will lead you on and draw you forward, come what may, for the first time or for the umpteenth time to commit or recommit to him. So I'm going to pray. And I'll invite you to respond in whatever way you need to. The band will come back up and lead us after I've prayed. Lord God, I thank you that you are holy, holy, holy. Thank you that because you are holy, you can never wrong us. You can never do anything against us. Lord God, I ask that as, 
as we seek to respond to what you, by your, by your spirit doing your work through your word, whatever it is that you're bringing up in us, a memory or a, a concern or a person or a, an attitude or an action. I pray that you'd give us obedient hearts to respond to that. For any of us who have become stuck on our own goodness or badness, help us to fall upon your forgiveness. For any of us who are grappling and struggling with a certain area, help us to fall upon your goodness. And Lord, I ask that this good news would go out through us, through our lives and our example, to those we know, to those we live near, that the world might know that this is good news that you've entrusted us with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.